Because it is Pentecost, we're going to take a one-week pause on our series through uh, the parables, the stories that make us, um, which has just been a blast to go through. I hope it's been really fruitful and helpful. I know it's been more convicting for me than I thought, but also uh, more comforting. But we're going to take a week break. We're going to look at a a text out of John, um, the gospel according to John, the good news about Jesus, page 887 in the Bibles in front of you. 888, John 3, 1 through 15, before we dive into God's word, we we really need to go to him in prayer. Father, we can undoubtedly understand the words on this page, but we can't embrace them, own them, believe them, respond to them, live in light of them apart from your gracious, divine interruption and help in our lives. So we ask that you would do that. Would you make your word come alive to us so that Christ can come alive to us? God, we ask that above all things today, that you would send the Spirit to lift Jesus up, that our hearts might be drawn after him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I uh, asked one of my daughters, and I always have permission to share these stories. I asked one of my daughters this last week as I was studying this text, and she loves Jesus, deeply loves Jesus. And I said, honey, are you born again? And she goes, no, I'm not like one of them crazy Christians. <laughs> I was like, I got some work to do. Um, there's a lot of stereotypes both inside and outside the church when we hear the phrase born again. Pew Research asks this question, would you be happy if a close family member married a born again Christian? Here were the results. 57% of conservatives said yes. 16% of liberals said Yes. What explains the difference? Well, when we hear born again, we often think, oh, there's a, that's a political platform. Or maybe you're thinking old movies, and I guess they remade this movie, so maybe you've seen it. The movie Footloose, this small town in middle America and a very conservative church and a very conservative pastor who yells a lot. And what you think of when you hear born again is that those are people that, that don't dance and they don't drink, at least with other born-again Christians. They might do it privately, but they hide it. And, 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 and they don't gamble, and they don't smile. <laughs> Forgot to put the fun in fundamentalist. Um, <laughs> perhaps you're a Simpsons fan, and you're thinking Ned Flanders. Just cheesy and smiley and kind of pushy and just dorky. And you don't want to be like that kind of Christian. You want to be a cool Christian. You want to be like Bono, (laughs) which he has a phenomenal book that just came out. Listen to it on audiobook, Surrender. It's incredible. Talks a lot about his faith. But you want to be like Bono. He's cool. Or you want to be like Justin Bieber, who I think is cool. Or perhaps born-again Christians are only those that have like that really clear, dramatic conversion experience. Like you were sitting there, and there's just this moment when you just knew. And maybe you did an altar call. You got up, and someone said, come forward. Come to faith. Come forward. And then you, you prayed a prayer, and you signed a card. And you can point to the moment, the minute that you became a Christian. And that's beautiful and good. But is that the only thing that counts as being born again? Or perhaps when you hear the phrase born again, you don't even think Christian, you actually think music. You think Rihanna. 
Rihanna has a song called Born Again. It was written as a single for the soundtrack Wakanda Forever. And as best as I can tell, it's a song about grief and determination and love and sacrifice. I don't even know who this person is, but it had lots of likes. Tiffany Young has a song called Born Again, and I think it's basically about making out. So there's a lot of different takes <laughs> on being born again. It's muddy. Let's try to make it clear today. Today we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at who the new birth is for, why the new birth matters, and how the new birth happens. So who it's for, why it matters, and how it happens. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? This is God's holy, flawless, Christ-exalting word. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Feel free to grab a seat. Tim Keller begins his sermon on this text asking this question, is there a born-again type? I've already looked at some of the caricatures or stereotypes of it, but in America, if you say born-again, for most people, that immediately brings to mind a certain type of person. So I'll read a few of them. Okay, you're the emotional type. Okay, I understand. You're the kind of person that wants an emotional experience, and you want to wave your hands and cry and close your eyes when you sing your hymns. Okay, you're a born-again type. Others might say, well, born-again types, those are people that have very broken and messed up lives. They need to go to these very conservative churches with lots of moral structure because they've been drug addicts or they've been alcoholics, and so they need moral structure. For people who've had broken lives, you might need a born-again type of religion. So there's emotional types, there's broken types. As Americans, we also think of this, oh yeah, born-again types, those are those knee-jerk conservative types. Keller's insight on this is this text, both indirectly and directly, undermines the patronizing idea that there's a type. And it does so through one of the main figures in this story, this figure named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus, we have some details about him. He was a Pharisee. And we hear that word, we hear it with 21st century ears, but that's not what this would have been at that time. A Pharisee was someone very pious, very devout, very disciplined immensely respected, very moral, 
you would want that type of person likely as your neighbor. Their grass would be mowed. Their recycling would be done correctly. I mean, this is somebody who was put together. He was also called a ruler of the Jews. This is more than Pharisee. This is, he was part of what was known as the Sanhedrin. This was the ruling council of God's people at this time. It means he would have been wealthy, who had extremely high status. He comes to Jesus, and he actually doesn't come arrogantly. Most of the Pharisee interactions that you have in the gospel stories of Christ, most of them are, are Pharisees being grumbling, angry, frustrated with Christ. Actually, Nicodemus comes humbly. He comes, he calls him rabbi. It's a, a term of respect, of a teacher. He, he comes and says, we, I know that you're from God. No one could do the types of things you're doing if they're not from God. He's coming saying, I know there's something I'm missing and I'm coming to learn it. If you put this together, Nicodemus was really moral. He was really wealthy. He was really respected. He had tons of power. He was humble. Ray Ortland commenting on Nicodemus says it like this. says, Nicodemus is at the top of his game. He represents all of us when we are at our best. And Jesus tells him, it's not enough. It's not enough. Quoting Keller here, no matter how good you are, no matter how pulled together you are, you must be born again. But it also means no matter how messed up you are, no matter how broken you are, you can be born again. Who is the new birth for? Everyone. All of you. Every every single one of you whether you come in this place with life's well-ordered or limp into this place in an absolute wreck and everything in between. Who's it for? Everyone and anyone. Why does this matter so much? If you look at verse three, you, you hear it in this word, must. You must be born again. He sa- Jesus says it a couple of times, you must be born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse five, truly, truly, I say to you, a way to amplify it, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. According to Pew Research, about 63% of the U.S. self-identify as Christians. About 24% describe themselves as born again. When you hear those different numbers in light of a text like this, 64% 64% self-identify as Christian, or 63%, 24% self-identify as born-again Christians. And what this is saying, I think it's saying probably two things. There's a lot of people that are Christians that don't know they're born again because of how it's been appropriated as a phrase and, st- and culturally messed with. And I think there's a lot of people that say they're Christians, but they are not. And this text is a text for, for both. Um, if you take verse three in the word must, you know, I hope we see the problem. There are are not two categories of Christians. There's not Christians and born-again Christians. There's just Christians. There's just born-again Christians. It's what they are. They're, they're synonyms in the Bible. To the extent that we downplay or dismiss, and this is why I want to talk about this, is the extent that we downplay or dismiss, or even disdain the phrase born-again, um, we miss out on so much. And from this text, I'm going to give you at least two things that I think we really miss out on. Being born again, it changes everything about your future. And being born again, it changes everything about your present. 
So I don't know if I don't typically preach in sweatshirts, not that I, I wouldn't I have before, and there's nothing wrong with, with that. This is the heaviest sweatshirt I've ever worn in my life. It, it feels like it's, it's made of Kevlar. Um, it's like those lead blankets you wear when you're getting your, your teeth x-rayed. Um, you should go buy one. Uh, as far as I can, and it's a knockoff, just so you know. Um, that's probably why it feels this way. Uh, as far as I can tell, this sweatshirt, Ye Must Be Born Again, became popular through Kanye West. I, but I think it was actually released in 2019 by Cactus Plant Flea Market. Anyone ever heard of Cactus Plant Flea Market? I hadn't either. I guess, I guess it's, uh, it's a brand or a clothing line or something. They basically sell stuff that's like crazy expensive. So I think this thing sold for about 400 bucks. Again, I got mine on Amazon with prime shipping. So, so really expensive. And, and so the, the yay in it is not a reference to Kanye West. He's sometimes called yay. And so Drake Ward, who was another rapper, and they're having a beef. And so he wore it to be like Kanye needs to get born again because he kept saying such dumb things, which he does say a lot of really dumb things for sure. But I don't think it was Kanye. It was just a reference to the King James Version's translation of this text. Ye must be born again. But it became popular, and lots of people wore it. Drake, Pharrell Williams, who's a music producer for all the family with younger kids. The, the song Happy from Despicable Me came from him. Jerry Lorenzo, who uh, was the son of a basketball star, started a label called uh, Fear of God. They're all sporting this hoodie. And here's the problem. And this isn't commentary on any of them, but all, all of us who put crosses on and all of us who tattoo verses on, and all of us who wear clothing that references biblical truths is that you can wear the hoodie and not have it transform your heart. And that's a huge danger. I actually went and did some research um, on the history of this hoodie, and I found all of these pod, or all of these, these video you know, on YouTube watching people talk about the hoodie, and, and, it, and it wasn't about evangelizing. It wasn't about saying this is the need that all of us have before a holy God. It was here's the quality of the thread count, and here's the fit, and the style, and the intricacy, and how you know if it's authentic or not. 63% of the U.S. is saying I'm Christian, but only 24% saying I'm born again. John is saying there, there's no distinction. I'm hoping the phrase, you must be born again, will recapture us today. Or for those that love it, they'll love it even more. Why? It changes everything about your future. That's what verse 3 says. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When that phrase was used, Nicodemus would have immediately known what Jesus was talking about. He would have had actually a pretty clear understanding of what the kingdom of God was. For, for someone who was part of the Pharisee uh, belief system, he would have known the kingdom of God is when future resurrection happens. It's when the new creation, a new world occurs. It's the new heavens and the new earth. And the way the Bible talks about it is that, that is the glorious... Entry. That is the, the glorious consummation that one day death and sickness will be no more. There'll be no racism. There'll be no poverty. There'll be no loneliness. There'll be no, there'll be no mental illness. There'll be no addiction. There'll be no hurt. There'll be no animosity. There'll be no backaches. There'll be no tendinitis. There'll be none of it. But all that will be left is feasting and rejoicing and fruitful work and smiling and laughter and not super heavy sweatshirts. I don't know how I'm going to get through the second service without passing out. It's everything the human heart truly longs for deep down and everything that our political processes try to promise to provide but continue to fail. 
And it says, if you are not born again, that is not your future. You could say it like this down in verse 15. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Life eternal, literally life eternal, life everlasting, ongoing and increasingly better. So when I hear those stats between the, the 63% and the 24, I, I, I hope that so much of it is just confusion about the terminology, not the reality and condition of our souls. Because without it, you don't have the kingdom. Because the king doesn't have you. So it changes everything about the future, but, but, but this text is actually pointing to something else too. It changes everything about right now. In many ways, what's being said in this text is what you do is get some of the, the beauty and power and newness of the future into the present. A new creation is coming, but God right now is making new creatures for it. It's transformation that Jesus is talking about here with this metaphor, this imagery of a, of a new birth. Or the language of verse 5, that you're born of water and spirit. A more technical word that's used in the Bible about what's happening here is the word regeneration. That you're made new. Regeneration is one of the best and most neglected words in the Bible. It is the supernatural work of God to give new life where death was. To make dead people live. Jesus, I believe in the water and spirit. I won't go to all the different controversies around what does he mean, what's the water, and what's the, I, I think what he means is Ezekiel 36. I'll just read you the text. 25 through 27, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I, I love this next, I love that entire series of verses. I love this next, and cause you to walk. Not, not just help you. Not just, I will cause you. I, I will override so many of your rebellions to me. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Ezekiel 36 is just another way of saying born again. And it's not a small thing. I love how Stephen Lawson says in his book, New Life in Christ, which the entire book is just unpacking what does it mean to be born again. He says this, he says, the new birth is not like repainting an old house, going over an old layer of paint. Rather, it completely tears down the house and builds an entirely new structure on the same site. My neighbors a few years ago, their house caught fire. Um, the, they, they were renting it out to some people. The, the heating ducts never got cleaned out, and so it caught fire, and it was basically a, a, a total loss. And so they ended up rebuilding on the, in, the, the same site, the same land, the same place, and I watched the rebuilding happen over, I don't know, a year and a half or so, and, and it, it's not the same house. It's a totally different house built for, for different ways of hosting and different ways of celebrating and gathering and enjoying life, but it's on the same location. See, that's what happens when Christ gets a hold of you. It's, it's not just you plus a, a new philosophy or you plus a couple of additions or a couple of tweaks. It's not just Nicodemus who's moral and good and upright with just a, a little nudge over the finish line. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus with new capacities and new affections and new abilities and New life. Who it's for? Anyone? Why does it matter? 
You can't see the kingdom without it. You can't be made like Christ without it. So here's the big question. How does it happen? Let me read verse 3 again. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That word again, um, I, would, I would suggest it can be, and I think maybe even a, a more clarifying translation is from above. So born again or born from above. We see this if you go back two chapters in the Gospel of John and what's called the prologue, setting up the main themes of the Bible, John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, so those that, that who have believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, that is just that alone. Like we could, we could just pause. You get to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I came across uh, a post this last week on Instagram, and uh, the post was by a son who had just graduated from, <coughs> from college, and his brother just graduated from college. They're, they're twins, and the, the caption was, was, was this. Uh, my dad swears he doesn't have a favorite. Let's uh, put the, the first, uh, so the dad made a yard sign. This is his son, class of 2021, Cypress Woods High School, valid, oh, I guess he's not twins, this is his younger brother, valedictorian, okay, so this is the yard sign, the sign next to it though, let's look at the next sign, Texas A&M Mechanical Engineering, class of 20, not <laughs> valedictorian, <laughs> just side by side, he's a little on the edge, you know, you're just right, thanks dad, <laughs> it was mechanical engineering from college, dad, that's not how God's kingdom works. It's not, it's, not, it's not your pedigree, it's not your ethnicity, it's not your background, it's not your trophies, it's not your resume, it's not your GPA, it's not your accomplishments, it's not your height, it's not your athletic ability, it's none of it. It's not of the flesh, nor of the will. It's not of the blood, it's of God. Our place, and I hope you hear this is the most, both humbling and comforting reality. Our place before God has zero to do with where we come from, what we've done, what we're able to accomplish, how we perform. It's all from God. We see this in the language from above. We see it from the clarification in John 1. We also see it with the imagery of birth. Born again, a baby doesn't birth itself. It's just as born. We see it in verses five and eight. The spirit comes, the wind blows where it blows. It's a force outside of us that transforms us. As the text says, so it is with everyone who is born of the, the spirit. Uh, later on in the New Testament, last third of your, your Bibles, there's a letter to uh, a guy named Titus. And in that letter in chapter three, there's, a, there's kind of a doctrinal unpacking of what we see in this teaching of Christ here. Titus three, four through seven when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Just amen, anyone? Not by how we did. Because if we really are honest about how we did, what hope do we have? Remember, Nicodemus was the best of all of us at the top of his game, and it wasn't enough. 
He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, there's that word, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, a baby is born. They don't give life to themselves, but they are born through the work of another, through the sacrifice and suffering of another. It's how Christians are made. After the sermon, we're gonna sing the song, Grace Alone. I know we sing it probably too much. Um, we, we've sung it so many times recently. I asked Corbin, I called him on Friday, I said, I know we already picked the, the song list, but man, we gotta, we gotta sing this song again. I was in darkness all of my life. I never knew the day from the night, but spirit, you made me see. I swore I knew the way on my own, head full of rocks, a heart made of stone, but spirit, you moved in me. And at your touch, my sleeping spirit was awakened. On my darkened heart, the light of Christ has shone, called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken, heaven's citizen by grace and grace alone. I hope that when we sing that song, this text will be loud in the background. Nicodemus coming at night. Coming curious but confused. What Jesus says to him is the, the one thing that you need most, you can't do. You can't think yourself into this. You can't will yourself into this. It doesn't mean we can't use reason, logic. It doesn't use God. It doesn't use all sorts of means to bring us to faith in Christ. What it's saying is it's got to be a work from God, from above, from the Spirit. Jesus didn't come to make moral people better. He came to make dead people live. This text explains, at least in part, how someone goes from resistance to belief. But more than that, it's meant to move us to worship. A number of years ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and uh, going to different monuments was a shockingly worshipful an emotional experience. I was really surprised. I'm, I'm not a big history guy. I'm not a big monument guy. I'm, I'm, I'm not much of a guy. Um, I, I, don't know, I don't know where to go with that one. Um, but it was a much, it really was very tearful. I found myself multiple times weeping when I was in the, the Lincoln Memorial sitting at those steps and reading those steps. Oh my goodness. And then as you go from from, from there on your way to the Martin Luther King uh, Memorial area, which is also very powerful. Between them is the, is the Korean War Veterans Memorial. I even know about it. I didn't even know it was there. And you walk into this area, and it's kind of this triangular-shaped uh, couple-acre area. And there's juniper bushes everywhere, and there's trees dotting the landscape, and it's to try to give some sense of what the landscape was like where our soldiers went. And so this picture, these are larger-than-life statues. I believe they're, they're, uh, they're uh, stainless steel statues, all of them over seven feet tall, and they are walking on this triangular area towards this kind of capstone point. This is called the, the field of service is what this is named as. And these 19 different figures represent the, the soldiers from all the various branches of the military that went. And if you look at their hands, some are carrying rifles, some are carrying food, some are carrying aid. And it was so powerful. To see. I, was, I was really blown away by this. And I'm saying that, and then you go to the very front of this thing, and there's, a, there's a, a, a granite slab in the very front, and on it's inscribed this. Our nation honors her sons and daughters who answered the call to defend a country they never knew. 
and people they never met. <laughs> it was a lot. The thing that really wrecked me was a number of Korean people that make a pilgrimage there to say thank you. It was just, just surrounded with people from South Korea, placing flowers and weeping and hugging because people flew thousands of miles to do something for someone else that they did not know, to do something that they could not do for themselves. It's grace and grace alone. It's the greatest miracle you can ever experience that someone would do what you could not do, would act upon you, that, that not to leave a shred of yourself and your salvation is not God dis, dissing us. It's him liberating us and freeing us to say, oh, if it's all of God, what, what, what could you ever do that would, would cancel you out of his grace lavished upon you? What could you ever do to lose that kind of pursuit? It's the greatest miracle you can ever experience. It's also the greatest miracle anyone can ever experience. Look again at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is so deeply encouraging as we think about our nation, as we think about our neighbors, as we think about our kids, as we think about our communities. You, ha you and I cannot predict the movements of God. Magazine uh, cover from Time Magazine, very notorious one from... Uh, 1976, I think we have it up on the screen here. So 1966, uh, uh, pardon me, Is God Dead? This came out of some new books that were published and it was supposed to be the, 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 the clarion call that Christianity is done. We've dispelled it. We've disproved it. America will not follow Christ. No one will be born again. That sort of statement. Here's, here's the, the cover from five years later. The Jesus Revolution. Bunch of hippies got saved. Bunch of countercultural. Shall we say uh, sexually explorative? Chemically altered. Anti authority. God just moved in our nation in, in spectacular ways. Oh, don't wring your hands, Christian. Don't. God will move. God will act. God will do what God will do. If you, if you get discouraged when you look here, just go look at the global south. Go look at how Christ is on the move in the global south. Go look at China. In the last 50 or 60 years, how many Christians are in China? There are more Christians in mainland China than, than the United States. God is moving. The spirit goes where the spirit blows. And as the reality of God's sovereign work and saving people um, becomes real to us, a few things take hold. Uh, humility. I, I can't be arrogant before others. There's no way you can be arrogant when you know that God has done it. You're just humbled. And you are so full of hope. Before God, for others. A few weeks ago, we, um, we started this thing called the One More. I'll tell you, there's one more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. And what we did is we had a baptism, baptismal up here, the, the tank we used the week before on Easter. So we did this the Sunday after Easter. And I asked everybody, I said, I said we gave you two cards and, and said, put the, the name of the same person on each card. And I didn't lay it out right, so some of you wrote lots of names. Great, you got lots of people to pray for. So you put the name on one card and you keep one card and you take that card and you put it into the tank. And the idea is that we're praying that God would save those people, that one day we get to see them get baptized. 
baptized. We get to see them worship King Jesus. This is the stack of cards that went into the tank and this stays in my office and I'm pulling it out all the time and meeting and saying, we're just gonna pray over this stack. We're gonna pray over the one mores. We're asking you to pray and pursue your one more. But I don't know enough. What if they ask me hard questions? But I don't, I don't look that much like Jesus. I'm not much of a new creation. I'm, I'm kind of met. My marriage isn't where it needs to be. My, my kids don't really respect me. How my friend going to respect me? I can't, even, I can't even quote John 3.16, which is the next verse after this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How's that happen? The Spirit's going to come. Who cares if you don't know? Your ignorance is not strong enough to trump God's sovereignty. And so we just pray. And if you're a Christian, you know how you became a Christian? You're a miracle. If you're not a Christian, do you know how you become a Christian? You ask God for the miracle. And you hope a lot of other people are asking God for the miracle. I really appreciate the, the article by Beth Stoll. Um, we need to take the Jesus, to take Jesus' metaphor of being born again more seriously. The title and article, it captures... What I loved about it is it captures the many ways we come about saving faith. Because I think one of the reasons that we can sometimes doubt that we're saved, and one of the reasons we can say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not born again, is because we came into the faith in different ways. And so I love that she talks about this metaphor of birth. You know, there's no standard process in birth. You can have all the birthing plans you want. The, the, the only guarantee is it will not go how you planned. It's painful, it's beautiful, it's unexpected, it's messy. Sometimes it's fast. Sometimes it is painfully slow. Every birth has its own story. Um, Emma and Owen, uh, when they were born, Emma was really slow and wild, just crazy, crazy, crazy. Owen was like lightning fast. Owen was the kind of, and I was anticipating with our second that it would be kind of like our first. And so Katie, I hear her yell, and I, as again, I always get permission to share these. Um, I, I hear her yelling from, from the other room, Rob, Rob. It's like two in the morning. Always happens in the middle of the night. That's the only thing you can guarantee, right? Just like Nicodemus, middle of the night. It's just how it works. Rob, I, I either peed my pants or my water broke. And so I'm like, okay. So I go in and I find her and I'm like, nope, your water broke. And so then I go jump in the shower because I figure we're going to be going for like 12, 15, 16 hours and I'm in the shower. Don't you, you, <laughs> I got the mic and you got sin too. So, <laughs> so I'm in the shower and I'm, I'm kind of just trying to keep it lighthearted and all this stuff. And she opens the curtain. She looks at me and says, you look me in the eyes. I'm here. You're here. I need you to be here. And I was like, oh, wait, we're on. It's on. <laughs> And so we jump in the car and, you know, racing to the hospital and we get there and, uh, and they're doing the kind of initial examination. And Katie is like, this baby is coming. Well, we got to really make sure, you know, we got to make sure. And she's like, I'm telling you, it's coming. And so they, they look and she's like super dilated, ready to go. And they're like, okay, don't push. The doctor's not awake. Your doctor's not here. We have to wake up the on-call doctor. She says, I'm pushing. You're catching. That's how it is. <laughs> Yeah, I was probably getting a snack at the time. Uh, no, I was not. I got to where she was. Some salvations, boy, they are like that. My friend Ron, he's part of a church for a long time. He was a hardcore atheist, one of the brightest guys I've ever met. He was an international chess champion. 
And for sport, he loved to jump onto message boards. You know, this is a bunch of years ago, and just fillet Christians. Just show how stupid they were, break down all of their arguments, all this. I mean, just his, he read everything. He was, he was so antagonistically opposed to Christ. And one night he has a dream. And in his, well, I should say nightmare. And in his dream, he is being attacked by what is very evil. And he just wakes up crying out the name of Jesus. And he goes, I became a Christian right then. Sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's really, really slow. Bernice Oliver from Glasgow, Kentucky, saw this the other week. His wife, Evelyn, had been praying for him for 67 years, 67 years to become a Christian. Pastor of her church came to visit the home multiple times. COVID hits, and so now they're stuck at home, and so there's nothing much to watch on Sunday morning, so she would turn on the broadcast of the the church's service on this kind of closed-circuit local television station. And at some point, some people from the church came to their house to drop off some groceries and visit, and he told them that he was a Christian. He'd become a Christian after 67 years of his wife praying and that he wanted to get baptized. Here's a picture of him. He's 93 years old. Don't lose hope. Oh, don't lose hope. The spirit blows where the spirit blows. There's dramatic conversion stories. There's drawn out conversion stories. There's also a lot of like, I'm not sure when I got saved, but I know I'm a Christian story. That's a lot of our stories. And those count too. You know what? That is just as much a miracle. My wife can point to the moment. She was at a Young Life camp in high school. I can't. But here's what I know after 40 plus years of being aware of who Christ is. I I believe I have a sincere, not flawless, but commitment to Christ. I believe I needed and need forgiveness. And I believe that Christ is the only way and the only place where I can find that. I can't point to the moment. But it doesn't mean the miracle didn't happen. It's the greatest miracle anyone can know, and I'll end with this. It's the greatest grace you can ever know. Like, how do you know if you're born again? If the experiences are so varied, the emotions, for some, it's just off the charts, and for others, it's just a reasoned, logical sense of this worldview makes the most sense. How do you know? The reason I included uh, what feel like some strange verses here, verses 14 and 15, is it's one of the best ways to know. Um, I... uh, I found on the internet a very terrible way to know. It's, you know, I looked on the internet, which we all know doesn't lie or mislead. Um, and I came across an article, 17 Traits of a Born-Again Christian. So how do you know? Purity of heart, love for God and others, integrity, humility, love for the truth, godliness with contentment, obedience, patience, faithfulness, chastity, victory over the flesh, desire to live righteously, forgiveness, dead to sin but alive to Christ, quiet time, new spiritual rebirth, and you're heavenly-minded. Are you all like, check, 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 check? <laughs> It's like, great. So no one's saved? Christ, maybe. I mean, <laughs> now, I think it's well-meaning. I think there's, the, you're going to see fruit, right? We talked about regeneration. There's new life. There's new capacities. The Spirit's changed your heart. It's going to cause you to walk in the statutes. You're going to see some change. But the problem is when we look to ourselves and our performance, I think there's a better spot, and I think the end of this text gives us the better spot. These, uh, this story of Moses lifting up this serpent in the wilderness would have been well known to Nicodemus. This is a story that comes from a book called Numbers, uh, fourth book of your, your Bible in, a chap- in chapter 21. And it's a scene where God's people, again, 
are being impatient, they're grumbling, they're disobedient, they're rebellious, a lot like us. And I won't explain all the, past, all the aspects of the text, but God sends in fiery serpents, poisonous snakes. And they come into the camp, and if they bite you, you die. It's, a, it's, a, it's an act of God's judgment, saying you are rebelling, you are sinning. His judgment is not him flying off the handle. It's his very measured, very holy response to our rebellion. But God provides a way of escape. There's a way of being saved, and he tells Moses, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to make a copper or a bronze serpent, and I want you to lift it up on a pole. It'll be in the, in the middle of the camp, and if anyone is bit by the snake, what they can do is they can look up to this copper serpent, and they will be saved. Jesus here in this text is saying that he is the true and better copper snake. He offers the true and better salvation. Throughout the Gospel of John, the phrase lifted up, it's used a variety, a couple of different times, and it's always used with this sense of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. That all that look to him, instead of being poisoned by sin, are saved by his perfection. Instead of judgment, we receive salvation. See, one of the ways that you know that you have been born again, I still remember Dr. Kaiser was my seminary uh, president, uh, and he was preaching on this Numbers 21 text. And I just still remember how he, he laid out, he said, just imagine the camp, and how many people would have said, that's stupid. I just got bit by a snake. How was looking at this copper statue going to save me? My veins are running with poison. I don't want, and he actually did that, you know, and, and he's super goofy, so it's even funnier. Um, he's like, Dad, there's no way something so weak and so foolish could actually save me. See, how you know you've come to faith is you don't look at the cross as weak and foolish anymore. You, you, you look at it as the very place of salvation. You don't look at God dying and say, what a stupid religion. That God himself would come and die on a cross and somehow people get saved? That sounds foolish. I don't need that. I'm smart. That looks like weak. I'm strong enough to fix my problems. No, you look at the cross and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That word lifted up, it also means exalted. And there's this double movement with the Christ as he's lifted up. What happens in the heart of somebody that's been born again is they begin to exalt him. They say, oh, Jesus, I can't believe you died for me. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood, died heed for me who caused him pain? That you look at it and you go, oh, my, my, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and I followed thee, I saw what you've done, Christ, that you lived what I meant, was meant to live, that you died in my place, and no longer is the cross a place of scorn or jewelry, but a place of salvation. That's how you know. And oh, for some of you, it is not going to be loud and dramatic and hands raised, but it's genuine. For some of you, it'll be tears and weeping and singing and eyes closed, but it'll be genuine. How do you know if you've been born again? What's Christ look like to you? You must be born again. And if you are, you will boast in the cross like never before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm just praying for what this text says needs to happen, that in all of our hearts that you would moved by the Spirit. For those that came in exalting Christ, God, that they, they know they haven't even scratched the surface. For those that came in numb. 
God is never going to come through the eloquence of words. It's not going to come through the, the quality of the music. It's not going to come through a post-service conversation. It's going to come as your spirit moves. So we ask that you would move. Choose whatever means you want. We just ask that you would move. Pray not a single person would think they're too good that they don't need you or they're too bad that they can't be saved by you. On this Pentecost Sunday, God, we ask that you would have happen what happened in Acts 2. Not just in this church, but all the churches that are lifting up the name of Christ, God. Holy Spirit, would you lift Christ up that you might draw all of our hearts after him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.